I'd say as we continue to progress, what we've learned is that the product has to be great and that product has to be superior to um, anything else in the market because if you don't have a great product, then people ultimately just don't really care about sustainability. And I think you have to combine both things together. It's an age-old question. Can you do well by doing good? Welcome to the Grow For Good podcast, where we speak with leaders who strive to make a positive impact on the world. Here's the host of the Grow For Good podcast, Jed Morey. Not many people know about Fair Harbor, the place, but more and more are becoming aware of its clothing namesake. The location is a special hideaway on a strip of Long Island Beach called Fire Island, a place where cars aren't allowed and everyone packs their gear into little red wagons. It's where the founders of our story spent summers growing up and what inspired their journey. Jake Danahy and his younger sister Caroline finish each other's sentences, literally. You'll hear that in a bit. Growing up, they shared a passion for the beach and the ocean because of the time they spent with their family at Fair Harbor. Each year, they grew increasingly concerned about the amount of plastic that washed up ashore. This would stick with them as they grew older and headed off to college. Caroline followed her big brother to Colgate University in upstate New York, and it was Colgate that provided the firepower behind their idea to create a sustainable beachwear product line using recycled materials. Through Colgate's Entrepreneur Accelerator program, the duo got their vision off the ground, and they haven't looked back since. Like most startups, Caroline and Jake did it all in the beginning. From sourcing and manufacturing to marketing and design, they threw themselves into the business. Jake would get a sorely needed reprieve when Caroline graduated Colgate and was able to dedicate herself full-time to the venture. Today, Fair Harbor, the company, is an established brand that boasts partnerships with well-known retailers, a loyal customer following, and growing team all focused on the original vision the siblings developed over many summers at Fair Harbor, the place. Welcome back to the Grow for Good podcast. I'm Jed Morey, CEO of Morey Creative Studios, executive producer of Newsbeat, and the host of Grow for Good. This week, Grow for Good zeroes in on a very special place on the East Coast of the U.S. and extremely close to home for us. I'm speaking with Caroline and Jake Danahy, brother and sister super duo and Colgate University graduates who spent summers in a secret magical place on Long Island called Fire Island. Together, they co-founded Fair Harbor Clothing, a sustainable beachwear company that upcycles plastics into fabric. Caroline and Jake, welcome to the show. Well, thank thank you. you very much for having us. Yeah, we're excited to be here. I want to start off with something that I've been doing recently. It's kind of become my favorite thing by just letting our guests brag for a second about their product. So do me a favor, just go for it and brag like no one's listening. Sure. I guess <laughs> I could do that. Um, this is Jake. Um, and yeah, we've had, you know, a pretty crazy ride. Um, it's been super fun. And I would say if I'm going to brag about the product. So when we first started the company, I'm sure we're going to go into this a little bit about the story, the back, you know, backbone of the company, why we started, what we do and where we're going. But for just the product, we started Fair Harbor in 2014 and um, I graduated college in 2016. And what Carolyn and I have done every summer for the past for the first at least four summers was we traveled around we had a um a kind of plastic table in the back of our car and we drove up and down the east coast selling to anybody and everybody that would hear our story so we've done over 500 trunk shows since we started wow 
in doing that, we talked to so many people and year after year would hear people's feedback, you know, of our product after they purchased the year before. And so what we've done is we have gone through, I'd say at least 15 iterations of, of board shorts to get to what we have now. So I feel super strongly that we make the best and most comfortable pair of swim trunks on the market. And we've been able to do that from our direct customer feedback. You know, it's been, like I said, a hell of a process, but we make a really, really great product that people love. And, um, you know, our website, we have over 15,000 five-star customer reviews. So um, it's been really exciting and I'm excited to, to where we're going. Yeah. Not only are we able to really hone in on the product to make what we believe the world's most comfortable and versatile shorts in the market, but also do it sustainably and make sure that sustainability is incorporated into each and every part of our business. Um, and that we really have the holistic view um, and are doing our best to, you know, test and try out new innovative fabrics. Um, to figure out what the newest and the best best thing out there is. I love it. Can you give some context to the listeners about the very special place that we mentioned in, in the introduction that inspired you both to love the ecosystem, love the place that you uh, spent some summers uh, and describe Fire Island for those that have never experienced this really cool, bizarre and uh, hidden place on Long Island? Yeah, so it's... it's um a pretty, it's an incredibly unique place. And so Fire Island, it's about 27 miles long, but only about a hundred yards wide at, at certain points. And so the entire island is covered with boardwalks and there's no cars allowed on the island. And each town, I think, I don't know exactly how many towns there are on the island, but each town has its own little quirks and its own little unique perspective on the world. And so we grew up going to this, this place called Fair Harbor. And Fair Harbor is a super family-oriented town. And um, everyone rides around on old weathered bicycles. And you walk around with your bare feet. And, you know, when we were kids, literally all we needed was a pair of board shorts, surfboard, and bike. And that was it. And so, our you know, our parents literally could just let us run around do whatever we want and not worry about us, you know, getting lost um, because. There was water on both sides, and so we couldn't really go anywhere. So just as kids, is is pure freedom. And the really a really really special thing about the place is that it hasn't changed since the 1950s, and so it's really special. And as we were we were growing up, we started to notice, you know, because the island is so small, basically a glorified sandbar. Um, we started to notice more and more plastic waste washing up on our shores, and we're beach people, we're you know water people, and so that really frustrated us. We would wake up at you know 5 a.m. every day to go fishing with our dad or go surfing or do anything like that. So it really struck a chord with us. And yeah, it's a, a truly special, special place. Yeah, it's also funny too. It's where we first had, you know, our, our first business um, together. It's funny. They have these wagons that, um, you know, you put all your luggage into as soon as you get off the ferry. Um, you put your groceries in when you're leaving the grocery store. And Jake and I would go out during the days, pick up seashells. And during rainy days, when we'd suck inside. We would paint the seashells and then sell them out of our wagon on street corners. <laughs> and uh, we would put some lanyard bracelets in there too and it just was a way to interact with our community and kind of start doing something too and it was very yeah. small but yeah, yeah. I mean, we sell lemonade too it's where we first learned about margins and- <laughs> <laughs> the hard way yeah I, I remember the first time that i went on a ferry to the island i was dressed completely inappropriately just total overkill everything was too heavy i think I, everything i had was black and uh on the ride over this is way before the Las Vegas campaign ever started, somebody came up to me and said, uh, you, obviously, you look like you've never been to Fire Island before. Listen, what <laughs> happens here stays here. Okay. <laughs> Whatever goes on this weekend, it doesn't come back to the mainland. You understand? I was like, oh, where are we going? <laughs> Narnia? <laughs> like, what is happening here? Yeah. Amazing, amazing place. And, and I encourage anybody 
whoever wants to go there, uh, not to go, just stay off. It's ours. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, so sticking with the origin story, it's hard to ignore the fact that you were and, and honestly still are young entrepreneurs, but you've managed to create not just a solid brand with a great sustainability story. You're running a real business. This is, a, I mean, this is everybody who runs a business knows that it is not an easy proposition, that it's just, it's more than just the story. And from what I've read, the funding came from a successful Kickstarter campaign. So hanging on the sustainability angle for a second, do you think you would have gotten the traction from the beginning with the Kickstarter campaign and getting people interested in the product if you didn't have the sustainable backstory? I think it's what really started the company. And to give you kind of like a, what our actual uh, start was, was uh, we won a, a Shark Tank competition, a mock Shark Tank competition. So we were actually part of uh, an entrepreneurship program at Colgate called Thought into Action. And part of this program, we had a um, every year um, four student ventures um, are, are had the opportunity to actually pitch in front of celebrity entrepreneurs. So we pitched in front of Jessica Alba, MC Hammer, Neil Blumenthal from Morgan Parker. And that's, where so we pitched in front of them and got that first um, twenty thousand dollars of grant money um, to start the company, and so that's we purely got that I would say because of our sustainability message. We were one of the first ones doing it at the time. Um, yeah, this is just Galba too. So she had the honest company, and yeah. she didn't even know that there was a possibility of turning plastic waste into yeah. polyester. And, and Neil Blumenthal yeah. from Morby Parker, who was giving back, you know, every every glasses that they every pair of glasses they sold, they give to a student. I'm sorry, to uh, someone in need, and you actually. Looking at Warby Parker, you wouldn't even know that that's one of their um, their missions. And so uh, we really tried to pull at their heartstrings, and, and I think they really um, valued what we were doing and, and what we were trying to do in cleaning up the, the ocean and the environment. And then so we got our first – with that um, winning that Shark Tank competition, we invested in our first 500 units of product. Um, and then on the summer of 2015, we sold out completely, and we're like, um, we actually might have something here. And so that's when we decided to launch the Kickstarter campaign, um, which funded our second line of production. And so – our Kickstarter campaign was definitely 100% built on, on sustainability and what we were doing differently. But I would say as we continue to progress, what we've learned is that the product has to be great and that product has to be superior to um, anything else in the market. Because if you don't have a great product, then people ultimately just don't really care about sustainability. And I think you have to combine both things together. Right. That's what we've really learned is focus on product, make it great. And then, all right, let's make a difference and make it sustainably and try and make a difference with our, with our brand and our overall platform. So I don't want to assume anything about what you each focus on individually as uh, business owners. So in terms of division of duties, it seems natural that you would break responsibilities along the lines related to your backgrounds, meaning uh, product development and design. Uh, but as a startup and as a young company, there's typically so much to do that you wind up doing basically every job. How did the two of you decide who does what when there is so much to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great question. You know, Jake and I, um, I think an interesting uh, point of perspective is we were both geography majors at Colgate. Um, however, I had a real passion for human geography and globalization and how we interact with our environment. And Jake had a real passion for the natural sciences part of geography. So he was more interested in global climate change and global ocean currents and plastics um, scientific impact on our environment. Um, so and I think this also and lends itself into how we think about the company. Um, and also, I had a fashion blog growing up. I had a fashion blog all throughout middle school and high school. Um, my fashion blog was a place for me to have kind of a foot in the fashion industry while I was still um, in my studies. And so I take care of all of the creative side of the company. Um, and 
you know, Jake does a lot of <laughs> website optimization and sees yeah. basically oversees all the company's logistics. You can also speak to yeah. you. Yeah. So I think Caroline's not doing herself justice totally. She like literally puts the entire team on her back in terms of all creative assets in terms of photography. She runs all of our email marketing. She does all of our graphic design. Caroline didn't even know how to do any graphic design until we started marketing a lot. So she taught herself that and um, has really kind of been the living, breathing um, communication of our brand and then what I, I really handle is handle all of the website. Um, I do all of, I manage all the production, manage the entire design process. And then, you know, I'd have, you know, my, my hands in all the logistics and everything else. But um, yeah, so that's, that's how we divide and conquer. And we have, you know, two other, actually, well, three other fantastic employees now. We're a small scrappy team, but um, we're growing quickly. Yeah. And we were actually talking with one of our mentors last night, um, one of our close advisors. And he was saying, you know, really in order to be successful, you have to combine what you're passionate about and what you're good at. And I think Jake and I have really tried to find what we're both passionate about, what we're good at through the lens of Fair Harbor. And those, I guess, roles have become really natural because while we share those shared experiences in Fair Harbor Fire Island, we also have different strengths in this company. And I think yeah. that those um, complement each other really well. Yeah. And, and, just so, and I think on that's pretty funny. So after I graduated in 2016, I was working Fair Harbor by myself for a little bit. And so um, Caroline was still in school, obviously was helping me, but she, she was a senior. She was a freshman when I was a senior in college. And so um, we both went to Colgate. But when I graduated, I remember I had to do everything. So I was doing the email marketing and all the design stuff and and having Caroline really grow into her own in terms of that has been incredible to watch. And, you know, so I've been able to focus on things I'm better at. Um, you know, graphic design wasn't wasn't my area of expertise. So it's it's been fun. So let's let's stay with focus for a second and and yeah. that driving passion that you just mentioned. We just recently interviewed Dave Heath, the founder of Bombus, and um, about about the focus. A piece of the interview is about the focus on mastering socks. Um, and although they've expanded their product mission for years, was simply to make the perfect sock. And Fair Harbor started with a pretty you know laser focus on board shorts and beachwear. But it seems to me that you've also begun to expand a little bit. Um, so my questions with ex- related to expansion are what limitations are there with the fabric, if any? And, um, you know, how where can you go from here? How how big do you think Fair Harbor can get without going too far over your skis in terms of, you know, who you are to your prime consumer? Yeah, so our biggest focus um, product-wise is is we want to stay tight and we want to invest in products that that we believe in. And so we kind of have a a policy here at Fair Harbor. It's either hell yes or hell no in terms of products. If if we love it, we make it. If we don't, we don't. And so, um, you know, with that, we've tried to stay, as you said, laser-focused on swimwear because in running a business like this – it's a lot more profitable to invest deep into products that you believe in and that you can um, rather than over sorting where then you have to have markdowns. And when you launch a lot of product that you don't believe in as much. And so we've tried to stay laser focused on perfecting the swimsuit. Um, and because, you know, we spent all these years hearing from our customers, learning from our customers, we put all that effort into perfecting the swimsuit and kind of how we're trying to look at product expansion. Number one, 
you know, we can, any, any, we have a product thesis, so it has to solve a problem. Um, our, our product has to solve a problem. And then also um, it has to be sustainably made. And so those are, those are two things that we believe very, very strongly in. And um, there's no limit in terms of what we can make um, sustainably. Of course, some things are more sustainable than others, um, but we're really, really um, laser focused on that and not expanding our our product assortment too much. Yeah. And I think too, the versatility component and the comfort is really what we're trying to um, make sure that each and every product has, you know, like Jake hasn't taken off our anchors and our one shorts, the entire quarantine every day. It's either one or the other. And Jake is really honed in on product and, you know, really being meticulous about detail and um, just being incredible on that and having just a great eye and feeling too about what's working, what's not and how to improve it. But Caroline, from the design perspective, uh, how do you create a consistent, I guess, design aesthetic when you're broadening the line or does that even matter? So, yeah, so Jake and I do collaborate on design um, of the actual shorts. And I think for next year specifically, um, in terms of the color palette and the prints, we're really leaning into, you know, the soul of summer and creating these moments and these themes based on Fire Island and what draws us back to our roots and through our own lens. Um, And really just drawing inspiration from the place and the feeling that we're trying to create with our next year's collection. Um, And just that emotion too, you know, wanting to embody happiness and optimism and just feeling good under the sun and creating colors and patterns around that. Um, just because, you know, the world is a, a, a weird place right now. Um, and if we can provide some sort of happiness through our clothing and through our brand, that's really what we're trying to go after. So one of the things I saw on, your, on the site, uh, and I guess, Jake, I'll, I'll start with you um, since you, you build these out, is uh, these collaborations in retail. Um, I've never actually seen uh, collaborations like this, and you've got some pretty uh, prime players on there. Um, can you just describe them, first of all, to our listeners and how they came about and how you evaluate potential opportunities? Because yeah. I think, I guess I'm wondering is when you, as you describe these, I, I, you know, thinking about how important their commitment to sustainability also is when they approach you, because I can imagine that it might feel to you like a traditional retailer comes to you and says, you know, we really want to align with you. And it could be a performative part of their mission to try to align with somebody else when they don't really change themselves. Like, so how do you evaluate these collaborations? What do you look for? Yeah, we look for great companies or people that we can that we can work with to get our message out there um, to the best of our ability. And so I'll kind of mention two off the bat. One um, that has been really great for us and, and fun to work with is the One Hotels. And so it's a sustainable um, hotel chain um, all across the U.S. And um, it's a funny story how it actually happened. Um, basically, uh, it was happening out in, in Long Island, actually. A few of my buddies were out in the Hamptons playing spike ball. And, and just hanging on the beach and I saw this guy walking down the beach um, wearing Fair Harbor board shorts and so they went up to him and they said hey how's it going um, are those Fair Harbor he's like uh, I think so um, and uh, then um, my friends were like oh do you know Jake and he's like who the hell is Jake and uh, it turned out that it was Barry Sternlich and Barry Sternlich is the founder and chief executive of, of One Hotel in Starwood um, and so um that's awesome. Told him about um, our product, what we did, and our mission. He's like, "Well, actually, I'm you know the founder of the One Hotels, and we're just extremely sustainably focused." 
And so he's like, I need to meet Jake. And so he sent me an email and, um, and then we, we did this awesome collaboration together. So it was, that was about two years ago that happened and, and we we're really excited to launch. And so, um, they, we really aligned with everything that they believe in, in terms of, um, hotels and, and luxury and things and how they're making a difference on, on that front and the travel front. And then for us, you know, what we're trying to do on the clothing and apparel front. So it was a great synergy. You know, I love my friends. I really do. <laughs> but they're not, they're nowhere near as good as your friends are. <laughs> I, I, I love your friends. Those are good friends. Yeah, for sure. Um, so along similar lines, you created something called Round Trip, which encourages people, anyone really, to send in their used beachwear so you can recycle these articles. I was wondering if that's a losing financial proposition that just kind of furthers the brand story, or does it also somehow make financial sense? Are you able to utilize these items? Yeah, this doesn't put us um, at a financial um, disadvantage at all. And it's something that we feel really strong about too, an effort to close the loop on our supply chain. Um, and so we've partnered with this great organization called To Rewear. And basically how it works is people go to our website, fill out um, a form, they'll receive a prepaid shipping label um, and they'll put old swimwear into the prepaid shipping label. It doesn't necessarily have to be from us. It can be from any company. They send it back and To Rewear goes through it and basically separates it into either garments that can be washed and detoxed and donated to charity. Um, or if it's kind of past the point of repair, they'll then break down the fibers and turn it into something new, um, such as insulation or carpets and rugs. Um, and it's a awesome company. Um, and yeah, I don't know if you, yeah, no, we're, we're not quite to the point where you, we can recycle it into new, into new fabrics because it takes a lot to do that. But in terms of us, it was, it was interesting. Um, one of our advisors said he was talking to his son and telling him about our products and what we do. And, um, his, his son, um, said, all right, I, I love this, but, um, Fair Harbor, they're just borrowing the bottles, right? You know, they're just borrowing them because eventually what his son was saying is, you know, eventually those shorts are going to end up in landfill or wherever. And so I really thought about it. I was like, wow, that's that's a great point. Yeah, we're diverting the plastic from the oceans or from the landfill, but what happens after? So that's why we started this program because we want to make sure that we give those bottles another life after after the life that they already um, are getting again from our products. So I'm really, really um, interested in, in the full life cycle of these bottles and our products. Yeah, and I think the goes to just challenging um, how the supply chain and how the fashion industry has normally thought about consumption and products. You know, why can't we turn recycled post-consumer plastic waste into really comfortable, versatile shorts that would never even think about um, came from plastic bottles? So just kind of educating our customer and doing that in a really approachable way in this round trip initiative is another way to to challenge that norm as well. All right. So, so here's a tough one. Um, because in scientific terms, utilizing recycled plastics technically makes the product polyester, right? Yeah. Um, which I guess purists don't necessarily support entirely, but there's an acknowledgement among environmentalists that plastic in the envir environment far outweighs any concern over recycling in the manufacturing process. Is this a natural friction that comes with running a sustainable business that while you can't be perfect, sustainability is a spectrum? Yeah, I would say our mantra is really progress, not perfection. Um, and I think perfection is the enemy of the good. Um, and so what we do, number one, if, if you're wearing any sort of swimsuit, it has polyester in it. So it's coming from somewhere. And so we prefer to make it out of a recycled um, 
bottle, yeah. whereas all polyester is is oil. So that's that's what we're doing. Yeah, for those of you um, listeners too, um, all polyester is is virgin oil. So we're taking that extra step to take um, plastic from bottles that have been discarded to recycling facilities. So that's something too that not a lot of people know. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Caroline and Jake about running a retail operation during a pandemic an innovation that I'm pretty sure we can all get behind and the future of sustainability. Is your company looking to scale? Mori Creative Studios is a Diamond HubSpot partner agency that helps organizations leverage HubSpot's platform to achieve sustainable and predictable growth. From video production and inbound content marketing to sales and customer retention strategies, Mori Creative Studios provides comprehensive digital solutions for your company so you can grow for good. Visit moricreative.com to learn more. Welcome back to Grow for Good, where we talk to business leaders who are breaking down the barriers and proving the concept of doing well by doing good. Today, we're talking to Jake and Caroline Danahy about their clothing line, Fair Harbor, which transforms post-consumer recycled plastic bottles into what they call function fabric. Caroline and Jake, let's get super local for a second. And fair warning to the listeners that I may casually slide into my deep Strong Island accent, which is more native to me. It's a force of habit. So I'm wondering if we are close enough by now, after the first half of this show, for you guys to reveal your favorite Long Island surfing spot. Oh, I, yeah, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm very, like, if I'd say nostalgic, I'd say it would be Fair Harbor. But unfortunately, because they just literally pump all the sand from offshore to rebuild the beaches, there's no sandbars anymore there. So surfing isn't great. So I'd say I prefer Long Beach. And that's, that's really where I, where I like going. I definitely like the warmer waters, but if it's going to be um, off the coast of Long Island, I agree to it with Jake on Long Beach. Okay. All right. So that's something I think a lot of people can support here. I have talked to a number of surfers over the years that would literally kill somebody if you revealed where their little spot is because they've all got their little take. There's only a handful of people that know about it. So you're probably lying to me, but I'll accept the answer. Let's move (laughs) on. So you broke through to brick and mortar right before the pandemic. And I imagine this kind of frustrated the efforts to uh, push further into traditional retail for the moment and made you focus entirely on digital sales for a while. First of all, is that a correct assumption? And uh, if so, then I have a follow-up on customer acquisition. Yeah, so we, we've always had a strong inclination towards retail, um, brick and mortar retail. And, and the reason is because it's a, it's a different experience. You know, like I said before, we had such a positive relationship with our customers when we were doing our initial trunk shows and we were going out and actually getting to talk to people and having them touch and feel the product and getting that feedback. You don't get that online. And so we've always liked the idea of retail. Um, and so we had a pop-up shop in Brookfield Place over the last two summers and three summers, actually. And then... What we like about retail is because it's a living, breathing representation of our brand. And um, like I said, you can't get that online. So we're, we're still committed to it. Of course, you know, pending the pandemic, when it comes back, we, ha- we do have a small little shop in Sag Harbor, which is great. And we really like being out there. And, you know, thankfully, a lot of people are also out in Sag Harbor because everyone escaped Manhattan. So um, it's doing quite well. But um, I don't know what our strategy is moving forward. We have to kind of see what happens. But overall, like we've spent a majority of our focus online at the moment. Okay. So we know from our experience, the company that owns this show, for example, is a digital marketing agency and customer acquisition online is not as easy as it used to be. 
Have you upped your game since COVID to ensure that your digital channels are more cost-effective and, and productive? Has it gotten more expensive? Have you noticed that COA has gone up dramatically over the past couple of years since you've been doing it, or have you been able to really master certain channels? I think this is a good time to tell a little bit about our, our marketing story. In 2017, we decided to make a strong push towards being an online-focused retailer, a D2C, you know, per se, focused retailer. And so at first, we hired a digital marketing agency, and we started with a little budget, and we were just throwing money at things, and, and we were getting ROAS back. And the thing is, is, we didn't really understand what we were spending money on. We, we, just, we were putting ads out there, and we didn't understand what that return was. And so we weren't getting the results we wanted, so we, we fired them, moved on to someone else, weren't getting the results that we wanted. And so last year, um, from really good advice from um, some of our mentors, we decided to take it in-house. So we, last year, we took it in-house and did it ourselves, Facebook and Instagram marketing. And because we really wanted to learn, if we're spending all this money on customer acquisition, we wanted to learn and understand how it worked. And so we did that last year. And, and in doing so, we understood what levers we had to pull and how the actual system worked. And so we were very, very close to the whole process. And so in doing that, we found a great some great markers and um, have really turned up the dial um, significantly in terms of our spend. And so that's kind of our marketing story. And then I would say COVID has completely um, changed our perspective on, on marketing. So last year, you know, I think we've been selling out of inventory very quickly. And so we were ramping up for a very, very big 2020 and kind of using the, the lessons and, and kind of metrics that we had built up in 2019 for our 2021, 2020 growth. It was off to a great start. February was awesome. March started off really well. And then Trump came out and had the whole stay-at-home order. And um, men's swimwear was the fourth quickest declining um, online industry, according to, I forget which report that was. So we had to pivot very quickly. And in our pivot, we basically had to stop telling the swimwear story, the best, most comfortable, most versatile swimwear, and had to transfer into shorts. And I'll let Caroline talk a little bit mm -hmm. more about you know, why we did that and how we did it. Yeah. And for example, so we have all these assets, right? Showing um, our swimwear at the beach in the water and all of a sudden beaches are closed across the country. That message isn't resonating with our customers. Um, and it's just not, uh, it's really tone deaf too. So um, I think part of marketing is staying relevant, being aware of what's happening in the world and pushing our product to the best of our ability. And, you know, Jake has focused so much on creating an amazing construction of our short um, that allowed us to lean into the different aspects of the short of the versatility and the comfort. Um, as I said before, you know, Jake hasn't taken the anchors and the one shorts off all of quarantine. So why can't we show the anchor shorts and the one shorts in different elements and different um, landscapes? So just leaning into that and really pivoting that marketing message to the world's most comfortable and versatile shorts starting the end of March through April and into June. And then once all of a sudden beaches were opened up, people were able to go outside and be with their friends. Then we were all of a sudden leaning into that uh, swimwear component again, just understanding what's happening in the world and yeah. being aware of that. And, and in, in, to your question about CPA and CAC, we found ourselves... In, a, in an environment where not very many people were spending. And so um, we're a very lean team. We had a lot of inventory. And so we decided mm -hmm. to put our foot down and, and pedal on the gas. And um, we spent a lot. We had a, we have a very big mixed media marketing approach. And so we were advertising on XM Radio. We were advertising Google, Facebook, Instagram, AdRoll, mm -hmm. Snapchat. And so we were really kind of put our foot down. And um, we hit our 2020 plan in the middle of June. 
and our CPAs were low, much lower, significantly lower than they were last year. Are you using, uh, when you go for the more traditional avenues of uh, like broadcast, for example, XM, are you using specific callouts and uh, calls to action that you can track and is everything that you're doing measurable? So that's the only thing that we can't measure on a click, but we do it through discount codes. Discount codes are sometimes misleading, but we do it. We have a how heard at the end of our purchasing, every purchase. So we have about six, 70% of our customers fill out the how heard. And so um, that's where we measure what the effectiveness of, of the channels are. Yeah. And going back to, to our strengths and weaknesses, you know, Jake has been really data focused and focused on our KPIs and making sure that we're being really analytical with each channel that we test, um, where I'm focused too on creating the scripts, the radio, seeing what's working, developing all the ads from a creative mindset. And then we come together too. It just strengthens kind of what we're doing and making sure that we're staying on top of each thing we're. So let's get out of marketing and go back to manufacturing. How do you ensure that your manufacturing and supply chain are up to your personal expectation and standards? Yes, I've visited the factories. Um, I've actually been over there. They're overseas. Very close with the factory owners. Also, all of our fabrics are traceable. So we know that they're made, they're actually made from post-consumer plastic bottles. And so that that's, they're certified and both our factories are wrap certified as well. So, um, you know, we make sure that they are up to the highest standards of, of manufacturing that they possibly can be. Okay. Well, that answers that, doesn't it? <laughs> so here's something I just, I don't know if everybody feels as oddly passionate about this as I do, but in terms of design, I just want to talk about mesh for a second. Um, Because when I first looked at the board shorts, which is basically just a a cool name for what someone my age would call a bathing suit. The one thing that stood out to me was the boxer brief liner that eliminates, let's just call it what it is, that awful mesh liner that typically lines swim trunks and bathing suits. Why isn't this a thing across the board? Why is mesh still allowed to be a thing? Were you the first people to think of this? So the anecdote and the emotion that's coming through um, on your side uh, of this podcast right now is what we heard across the board when Jake and I were doing these trunk shows. We had moms complaining about the mesh lining and the chafing from their sons and their husbands, husbands and men, you know, saying about these awful experiences. And we, we turned to each other, why, why has no one done anything to fix this? So that's kind of where our initiative started, which is having conversations, hearing these horrible, horrible stories um, about how mesh lining has just ruined so many good times at the beach and family moments and time under the sun. Yeah. And, and so it was, swimwear is really interesting because it's always been like, it's been, been twofold. It's either been a fashion piece, not comfortable, or it's been like something you buy. It's just been an afterthought for a lot of brands, and a lot of companies. And so we, we really took the initiative to focus really on what those problems were and, and replace it. And it's actually a lot more difficult to find the, the liner than it kind of made out to be because it has to be something that dries quickly, that's super comfortable. And, you know, even where we put the stitches because it's, you know, obviously a sensitive area. So we need to make sure that the stitching is done adequately. So we have a very seamless kind of boxer brief. So it feels great. No chafing, dries very quickly. So yeah, it took a lot of effort and a couple of years to develop, but we're excited with what we came up with. And I think that too speaks to how we think about our customers and our yeah. community. You know, we, we're family first, community first. We think about turning our customers into family. 
part of the D2C model is having that direct relationship and that direct line of communication open with our customers, hearing their feedback, points of concern, points of improvement, and making that based on what people are telling us. Because I think that, you know, big, large corporate companies, they miss they miss that communication and that interaction with their core part of the business of their customers. And that's something that we've really focused on um, and staying true to as well. There's a theme emerging now that we have several of these shows under our belt. When we talk to creative entrepreneurs that get into the business from a product, I'll say, I guess, primarily from a product perspective. And I'm thinking now about a couple of recent episodes. There's it's not just the sustainable angle or whatever the, you know, the good angle is behind your mission. It's that it's really close attention to detail on the product itself, listening to the customers in a way that conventional wisdom just simply can't hear any longer. And then working really hard being data-driven, working really hard to get very close to what exactly it is that is triggering the consumer. These are really small details that do get lost in bigger organizations. And it's just so interesting to hear you speak so fluidly and so fluently about this new sort of ethos and construct. Do you think that you almost have an embarrassing leg up on some of the more established companies because you just see, you just have a different worldview. It's funny. I, I think a two pronged answer to this. Um, people who initially, when we were initially thinking about this concept and starting the business, anyone who wasn't in apparel was like super gung ho about what we we're doing. Like, oh my God, this sounds awesome. But anyone who was in apparel that we spoke to. Oh, it'll never work. work. That's not how it's done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so I think we were able to bring, come in with a night and listen, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sure. Like we have a lot to learn a lot further to go, but um, I think having a naive perspective actually helped us at, at times because we were able to do things differently. Like we're not creating collections every season. We're not creating, you know, all these drops and then, building up inventory, marking it down and, and creating new. And we're trying to create evergreen inventory. We're trying to create stuff. We're trying not to go on sale. We're trying to do all these things to build a profitable business. And I think also staying laser focused on product and story has, has been a huge help to us in photography and how we show the product, how we tell that story and being laser, laser focused has helped us. Whereas some large organizations have such a breadth of product, have so many stories they're telling that those stories ultimately get lost. Yeah. And really paving a way to, um, for a sustainable way of life in many different facets. And, you know, for us, the sky's the limit with what we can do and where we can take Fair Harbor. Um, and people who I think are a little jaded in the industry tried to put a, a cap and a ceiling on that. And for us, um, as partners and as business leaders, just going forward, pushing, keeping our, our heads down, spirits high and doing the best that we can and just learning along the way. Yeah. I think it's also neat that part of the unseen backstory that you have is you're not an overnight success. This is a, this is a grind that, you know, nobody sees the 500 trunk shows, right? They don't see you crisscrossing, you know, these, these coasts. Yeah, no, it is, it is, it is very, very difficult to get something like this off the ground to the point where you can even focus on some of the refined aspects that you're beginning to focus on now. So I, I, I applaud you for that. One of the areas I, I want to wrap up in is, in is in talking about being business leaders now, because there's a popular business concept that essentially says that in order to grow your business, 
you have to work on the business and not in the business, right? So do you envision a time when you can start to kind of get out of the weeds? And if so, which part of the business for each of you respectively, can you just never imagine yourselves giving up? Yeah, I, I think we're working towards that. Um, you know, it's it's been really interesting. And I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs who start businesses feel this way. You know, you do everything and then little by little, you lose some responsibility. And we've, we're building a really great team who I'm super thankful that we've been able to bring on these employees because they've been instrumental and they're better than, than we are at, at certain things. You know, I can't build a spreadsheet. I'm not, not a good spreadsheet guy. Um, <laughs> we have we have a guy for that. Uh, Andrew is, is an incredible. He's an ex-investment banker. We don't hold it against him. And he, uh, <laughs> he knows his way around, as I said, a spreadsheet. And so, yeah, I, I think where I can't see myself not ever having a voice and a vision is in the product. I always want to be involved in the product because it's so important. And, and I think really what this business is, and to simplify it, is it's merchandising and marketing. You know, you one thing has to be great and then you have to tell that you have to tell that story about the product. And so Yeah, and I think for me too, it's the voice um, and the imagery that we use and we show our products by because you know, Fair Harbor is an emotional being that stays and holds a really special place within Jake and myself and making sure that that never leaves the heart of the company. Because mm-hmm. I think that that is the backbone of who we are and why we started the company. And that comes through with all the copy and the imagery and who we select as models um, and everything like that um, from a, a customer facing perspective and making sure that the customer can always feel just how passionate we are and the place of Fair Harbor and that everyone has their Fair Harbor. While it might, might not be you know, the East Coast of Long Island, where is that to you? And how can we use our own experiences to provide some inspiration to protect the places that they love as well? Even though it's only been a few years since you founded the company, if you could go back and whisper into the ears of your younger selves and I guess warn yourself, Bill and Ted style of something that's coming and don't do that, what would you have said to yourself? I think each of our, all of our experiences have been very, like, it's funny, we're actually just talking about this because we're, we're discussing our, our, our entrepreneurship program at Colgate. We're thinking about like, what was the value of that program? And, you know, I think the biggest value of, and I, sorry, and not to go off on a tangent, but I just want to talk about this for a second because I think it's important. So Colgate's a liberal arts school. And then some alumni started this program called Thought to Action. And so at Colgate, we weren't learning anything about business or accounting or finance or, or anything like that, or how to incorporate a company. Um, we were learning how to reason and write and, and think critically. And then what these alumni started is they started this program called Thought to Action. They brought a lot of alumni to come in and, show aspiring entrepreneurs how to start a business. But the one thing that you can never teach is you can never teach the experiences that you have to continue growing. So if I was going to whisper in myself, I'd say like, keep your head down and, and keep going. My favorite quote is from Theodore Roosevelt, you know, keep your eyes on the stars and feet on the ground. And, and that's what I would say to myself is just keep pushing and, and never give up and just stay gritty. Yeah, I think going off of that too, just staying confident and trusting your gut um, and taking that leap of faith because I think that it's, it could seem intimidating to start a business and I could see how you know young entrepreneurs feel like that, but it just takes a first step and then kind of has a snowball effect and to trust your gut, be confident and just continue pushing forward and um, feel grateful too that Jake and I have the support of each other because um, I think that that's gone a long way too. Just find people who support you, believe in you and can, can really help develop you as, as a leader and as a business person as well. Caroline and Jake, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about Fair Harbor or maybe preview some concepts on your roadmap? Um, 
So anyone who's listening can visit us at fairharborclothing.com. Uh, we've got a nice assortment of products. And uh, yeah, we're just going to keep pushing forward and keep trying to make great product. And thank you everyone for the support who has purchased our product. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the show. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. If you have any suggestions for a guest on the show, feel free to email us at growforgood at moricreative.com. And of course, if you enjoy the show, like us, rate us, and review us wherever you download podcasts. And I'm sure Jake and Caroline are going to share this and like it and rate us and review us and then tell all their friends and sprinkle some of that uh, magic dust that they have for Fair Harbor all over the show as well. Guys, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. You were tremendous. I wish you all the support and good fortune, but you don't need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much for having us. This is a fun conversation. Yeah, thank you very much, Ed. We really enjoyed this. And uh, yeah, it was great to meet you and talk with you. Okay. Thank you both so much. The Grow for Good podcast is produced and distributed by Mori Creative Studios, a Diamond HubSpot partner agency that helps organizations leverage HubSpot to achieve sustainable growth. Grow for Good is a registered trademark of Mori Creative Studios. This is a Mori Creative Studios podcast.